You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Tuesday, April 13th, we're getting a look at the St. Louis Cardinals from the Athletics' Katie Wu, new on the beat. So so we talked to her about that. We've got a great conversation coming up in a couple of minutes, Peter Apple. It was so good. She's so smart. And I, I have all these questions about, like, Dylan Carlson and Rookie of the Year stuff and Nolan Arenado coming in. She gave us a ton of really good insight. I just had no idea at all. Right. You know, it's kind of shocking because she's been on the beat for less than a month, right? And the fact that she already has that stuff just kind of speaks to her skill level and her expertise and her grind with the beat. So it's obvious that the Cardinals are incredibly lucky to have her and the Athletic is very lucky to have her. Before we get into that, let's reassess the weekend that was. And you can't do that without paying homage to Brent Honeywell. The perseverance is better than most stories in sports history. I mean, he's coming back from multiple surgeries and he looked really good against the Yankees. He was 93 to 95. And I mean, he was just carving through these, these enormous behemoths on the Yankees. Like it was butter, like it was a hot knife through butter. And it was just so good to see him come back. Do I love seeing him come back against the Yankees though, when I'm trying to win a bet? No, No, I don't, but it was so good to see him. And But the Yankees ended up winning that game, so whatever. Yeah, this is airing Tuesday morning. I guess we do have to kind of talk about the Alec Bohm thing. I think what's lost in play here, and we'll spend a, a quick minute on this, but what's lost in play here is Didi Gregorius is credited with a game-winning RBI while wearing a mask, everybody. <laughs> it's possible to do things while wearing a mask. I mean, Alex Bohm was out. Alec. Did I say Alex? Yeah. Alec. Alec Bohm is an amazing hitter. But he was out. I mean, he slid into the back of home plate and it was so off. Why do we even, I know this is one of those quotes that's been just asked on Twitter a hundred thousand times, but why do we have replay? If it doesn't work. Professional MLB umpires who look at the screen can't get it right. What's the point? I don't know. I don't know. All right. (laughs) We're done wasting time on everything else. Uh, Let's go to Katie Wu. Katie Wu is in her first month, week, two weeks uh, on the Cardinals beat for the athletic. And uh, for my money, the recipient of the greatest welcome to your new home greeting in sports when the Budweiser Clydesdales trot around the warning track on your first game covering at Bush Stadium. How cool was that? First of all, welcome. And second of all, how cool was that? 
um, you know, seeing those bad boys at Bush Stadium. Look, I'm not saying those those were specifically for me and not for the decades long tradition that is the home opener at Bush Stadium. Uh, but I felt it. I, I felt the moment. Um, it was really cool. You know, I I've always heard from Cardinals fans and, you know, every fan base is very passionate about their home opener. But Cardinals fans were telling me, you know, we this is the best. We do the best home opener. There is nothing like it. And they were right. It was such a surreal experience, even with the 13,000 limited capacity fans in the stands. The atmosphere was just unreal. It was kind of just for me, even though I'd been covering the team for about a week at that point, that's when I felt like I was on the beat because I got to experience kind of like the whole home crowd, the the Bush Stadium energy, seeing all the fans behind the stadium at Ballpark Village. That was very cool. Um, so, yeah, a very surreal experience. That was very fun to, to witness. And speaking of Cardinals fans, Cardinals fans are extremely passionate, as I'm sure you you know from the beginning. I saw on your Twitter, which gave me a, a good laugh, follow her on Twitter, by the way, at Katie J. Wu, that you basically kind of told the Cardinals fan base that they need to chill out a little bit. You know, it's early in the season um, and everyone's getting really excited. But as a fan who definitely gets worried early in the season, I am slightly worried about Jack Flaherty a little bit. Personally, I think he's a bona fide ace. But his velo is a little bit down across the board, not just his fastball on all of his pitches so far. And he's currently sitting at a 5.23 ERA. It's early. I get it. But can you speak a little bit to what you've seen from Jack Flaherty so far? And do you think we should pump the brakes or do you think, what do you think? I think his start Tuesday will be very indicative of, of kind of the month and maybe May, what we're going to see from him there. Um, granted, when I've seen Jack Flaherty pitch, one was a 37 degree opening day in Cincinnati, the other one I was watching from my TV. So I'm keeping that in mind. Um, but what I have noticed about, about Flaherty is that he seems to, you know, he pounds his own, his recent start against Miami, he gutted through six innings, 101 pitches, one hit, but he had four walks in those. And all four of those walks, he had a pitcher's count. He went either 0-2 or 1-2, and then he lost them. He's throwing these pitches that either, I don't know, maybe a, a culmination of things that it could be, but especially in that Miami series, we saw him go from 0-2-1-2 to 2-2-3-2 really quickly and then lose the batter. So that's what I'm a little bit, I wouldn't say concerned, but it's on my radar. You know, like you said, it's very early. Um, but I, I am concerned about the rotation as a whole. Um, as of Monday, as of today, Cardinal starters have pitched less innings than their relievers. And, you know, Yes, the Cardinals bullpen certainly looks as good as advertised, but that's definitely not the, the model that you want. Uh, and yes, you know, they're, they're down two starters out of their five. Ponce de Leon and, and Gant are kind of stopgap fill-in guys. They're not going to be the full-time solution. Um, so, but I think that makes Flaherty a little bit, there's a little bit more pressure on him to figure it out sooner rather than later. Um, Mike Schultz said yesterday after the, the Cardinals lost to the Brewers, that it's not a sustainable model. Their starting rotation is not a sustainable model in what they're doing. Um, they have a great bullpen, but because their starters cannot go deep because there's so many issues there, they can't use the bullpen the way they want to. So they're really using their bullpen as in who's fresh, who's ready, who can go right now. Um, and, you know, having that problem a week, two weeks, two weeks into the season is, is a little bit, I think you have the right to be concerned there. Katie, I hate to downplay your arrival in St. Louis, but I would say you were the second biggest acquisition for the cards this offseason. Maybe. Hardly, <laughs> hardly slivered out by Nolan Arenado. Uh, what's Nolan's day-to-day headspace like? Is it relief? Does he kind of have like this vendetta that he's playing with? Does it feel like he has something to prove or is he settled into a contender? 
you know, I, I have this little joke because every time that Nolan has, has done made media availability, I ask him, you know, are you feeling comfortable yet? And I asked him that after his go ahead home run on the home opener. And he laughed and he was like, yeah, much more comfortable. I did get lost going to the clubhouse, though. Um, so, you know, same. I, I also got lost going to the press box, so I can understand. Yeah. Um, I, Nolan, I think I think he's just happy to be here. I don't think there's a better fit in baseball for someone that's as intense and passionate as Nolan Arenado is. He fits everything about the Cardinals and their mold and how they play. I mean, he's played nine games as the Cardinals and he has nine hits. I think that speaks for itself and the Coors Field argument. Um, I, again, I, I think he just seems very happy. He fits in very well with his teammates. He has a great relationship and great camaraderie with Paul Goldschmidt. I don't know if they have, you know, previous chemistry, both playing in the NL West, um, but he we can see multiple examples of how well he's fit in last week during the bench clearing altercation with the Reds, who was the first person there, Nolan Arenado, right? When, and, and it goes like to smaller things as well. So yesterday Cardinals are down five, six runs in the top of the seventh. He uh, pops it, pops it behind the plate. Catcher drops it. E2 gets a second life, works a walk. He's fired up. His team is down five runs and he's chucking his bat to his dugout and yelling at his teammates. Like, let's go top of the seventh or whatever it was uh like fired up so i think that he is perfectly happy where he is um and all of his teammates have nothing but good things to say adam wainwright has stressed multiple times on our availability the other day he's like i'm just so happy this guy is on my team and i think nolan is very happy to be on the cardinals yeah i think peter's about to about to hit on the castellanos thing right now but um i I feel like Right. I feel like if Nolan was an indie ball, um, he would still be the first one out there to like try and fight. Like he strikes me Absolutely. as that type of guy. I had I have to jump on that about the brawl because I just thought it was crazy. It was a great opening uh to baseball. So we'll set the scene. Nick Castellanos hit a long home run off Jack Flaherty, took a couple of steps, he took a couple of skips, mm-hmm. and then added a bat flip at the end. And then he was plunked the next day, showing obvious anger in the box, and then on a pass ball. Cassiano slides in safely and yells and flexes right in the middle of the game, right in the middle of pitcher Jake Woodford's face. But then I also noticed that Jordan Hicks got involved at the end of the fight. So two questions there. What is Jordan Hicks yelling at the opposing bullpen for? And do you think Cassiano's deserved the two game suspension for just flexing in Woodford's face? Two good questions. And I think to, to fully answer them, we have to backtrack. Full disclosure, I had a horrible seat in the Reds press box and I could not see anything. I was like crouching and like, you know, you have to be cognizant of everyone's space. So I'm like, where, where, where can I even go? So I'm like checking the TVs. I'm checking the field. It was a mess. Um, I I understand the passion. I think Nick Castellanos is, is great for the game. He plays with emotion. He plays with intention and he makes for fun baseball. Now, I don't think the Cardinals hitting him. I don't think Jake Woodford hit him on purpose. Um, I, when you have a guy like Adam Wainwright on the mound, chances are if you are going to throw at someone, um, that's going to come from, you know, Wainwright's probably the guy to do that in that situation. It's not going to be Jake Woodford who has a couple weeks of major league experience. And he had command issues all game. So I did not think that hit by pitch was intentional, but I can understand uh, Castellanos' kind of frustration and why he might think so. I get it, right? I you know, we offer the ball back, you know, whatever. It's it's enter- entertaining baseball. In my opinion on that, I don't really think matters. When he flexes, especially after you talk to Yadier Molina, who reassured you, hey, dude, it was not on purpose. You know, Yadier's one of the most respected guys in the game, no matter who you play for. 
we as baseball, you know, fans and as, as people who enjoy watching the sport, we want stuff like that to happen. We want dramatics, you know, I can see both sides. I can see why Castellanos was upset. Um, I'm not quite sure, you know, if the fine was, or the suspension was appropriate. Um, I think there was, a. I think maybe for COVID perspective, sure, because it was a bench clearing altercation. There were a lot of people up and, you know, not six feet, no masks. <laughs> I get that. Um, I kind of thought it was all overblown. I, but what I love to see was Yachty, the first person out there protecting his rookie pitcher. Um, and everyone, you know, standing up, I still have no idea what, what happened in the outfield. Jordan Hicks, you know, acknowledged that something was said, but didn't want to repeat it, which is fine. I really just think it was heat of the moment. These are division rivals. They're shaping up. I know it's very early, but these are going to be two of the better teams in the NL central and they're going to play each other multiple times. You know, I think that it's good for the game to have that kind of rivalry and that intense, you know, match up there. Um, but I did also think that it was kind of overblown at the end of the game. Castiano says quote of the year, you know, Yadier Molina could punch me in the face. I'd still ask for a signed Jersey, right. They yeah. still have that respect there. It was wild, especially personally on my second game. I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to introduce myself to all these players because I hadn't met them yet after the zoom. So I was like, Hey, so nice to meet you. I'm Katie. I'm new here. What just happened? It was yeah. just a lot, a lot to handle. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, to wrap up that very long answer up. I think it's just, you know, a culmination of two teams playing with a lot to prove early on in the season. And, you know, they're both playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. So they wanted to prove that. There's also that- a lot of history there. Yeah, there is. 2010. Johnny Cueto <laughs> karate kicks. Who could forget? Yeah, exactly. Who could forget. Was that the first altercation you've been in person for? I think as a reporter, yes. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure. I think I would have remembered. I was eight years old and I was um, at the game where Michael Barrett dropped the haymaker on AJ Pruszynski, which was <laughs> awesome. That That's my claim to, to baseball fame. Um, St. Louis is notorious for having, uh, for like being this breeding ground of guys that are so freaking reliable and get zero publicity around the league. So I, I think there's a trio right now, right? Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung, Tyler O'Neill. And I know that one of them is playing really well. Tommy Edmond just hit a ball. 113 miles an hour yesterday. Um, and then Paul DeYoung and Tyler O'Neill are, are not playing well right now. So a two-parter. What's hindering those two? And is Tyler O'Neill the closest thing you've ever seen to like a human boulder or human? <laughs> um, you know, I think, well, let's talk about DeYoung first um, because I, I caught a lot of, of commentary for just, you know, he was coming into Sunday's game over 21 with 11 strikeouts. Right. Just clearly not seeing the ball. Well, it's early. It takes time for these guys to get their rhythm and their timing. He's a professional hitter. He's an all-star. He's going to be fine by, you know, probably as soon as this podcast airs, he'll probably have turned it around. Yeah. Um, But he was batting cleanup. And um, I think that Cardinals fans were a little bit frustrated from that perspective. Uh, So Mike Schill, of course, you know, analyzed that said, yeah, DeYoung's probably pressing right now. So moved him to fifth. Um, I I think there's a lot of just overblown reaction to DeYoung's early slump. I mean, he's still getting on base. He works walks. He's gets hit by pitches. So he's getting on base. He's just, I think his timing's a little off and maybe starting to press. Um, But again, we're what, 10 games in the season, if that. It's very early. I, I think it's very early. And, you know, I love, again, I love the intensity. I love the passion, but let's pump the brakes on, on DeYoung a little bit. He's going to be fine. It's just, you know, not everyone can start out like Nolan. Okay. That's, right. that's unrealistic. Uh, Tyler O'Neill was placed on the, on the injured list yesterday, but they don't think it's serious. It's with the right groin strain. Um, he hustles 
hard in everything that he does. So just kind of tweaked it. Mike Schultz said yesterday that they were confident it was only going to be three or four days. So they just didn't want to play short. So they decided to call up Lane Thomas and kind of experiment with their outfield again. I think Tyler O'Neill's in the same spot. You know, that outfield is without Harrison Bader. It's a bunch of relatively young, relatively unproven guys that are all competing for spots. And there's a lot of fluidity and a lot of shuffling there. And all these guys are eager to kind of prove themselves. Um, and it's a, I can understand early on expectations are high. We've heard the outfield isn't going to be good. We've heard that there's concerns there. And I think it's a bunch of guys rightfully wanting to prove themselves. So I, I give both Tyler and uh, DeYoung a couple more weeks before we really start freaking out. Yeah. And speaking of, I guess, not undervalued, but just guys who haven't reached the limelight yet. Dylan Carlson is my pick to win rookie of the year this year. We, we did a little gambling episode earlier and he was plus 700, really good odds, but he's a well-rounded outfielder. He can play multiple positions. He doesn't necessarily stand out as an elite defender, but his versatility around the outfield is so valuable. And I think he's going to hit from a decently high average and he's already shown that he can hit some home runs. He's already hit three so far. Do you think he has a legitimate shot at winning the rookie of the year? And then can you also talk about the Cardinals outfield? I mean, you got Lane Thomas, you got Justin Williams, Austin Dean, Harrison Bader is hurt all 25 or younger outside of, I guess, Bader and, and Dean, who's still just 27 years old. Can you talk to the, the youth in the outfield? And if I'm going to be correct this year with Dylan Carlson. I, I really like Dylan Carlson. I think he's so exciting. And I think you nailed it, Peter, when you say his versatility is, is what makes him so good because he's versed, he's versatile in the outfield and he's also a switch hitter and he's mm-hmm. homer from both sides of the plate this year already. And it's April 12th. Um, this is a dude that I, I think is very undervalued right now by major league baseball. Uh, and I think by the all-star break, it will no longer be that way. Uh, he, like you said, can play all these different positions. He can in center he filled in pretty admirably in center makes some great catches there can play right can hit both sides uh and you know he's just a decent dude so far uh and i i uh, actually grew up like 30 minutes from him so it's been kind of fun to see him through high school develop to where he is now um but i think with the outfield they have so many options like we talked about um i don't really know if there is a if there's going to be like a starting set outfield this year, at least early on, I think that the Cardinals, you know, the front office has really stressed. We're going to experiment. We're going to give these guys an opportunity to earn their time and earn their spot. So they're going to do that. I mean, Austin Dean yesterday had some great at bats and then, you know, made a mistake on the bases. So it's those learning experiences, Justin Williams, great defender, you know, he, and if he can get his bat going should totally be in consideration as well. There's a lot of options, like I said, and it's not a, a bad thing to have, but I can understand, you know, the, the maybe the uneasiness that comes with having that fluidity and playing the matchups and not having a set starting nine. Um, but I think that the Cardinals will continue rolling this out for the next couple of weeks and heading into May. And if it's clear there's nobody out there that's running up and, and gunning for that job, then maybe they'll explore the free agent market. Um, and in a pinch, they can put Tommy Edmond, who, again, like you guys said, very undervalued and right, but they like him at second. So their hope right now is that one of their outfielders besides Carlson is going to step up and kind of claim their spot. It's kind of fun to be able to experiment and win games at the same time. That's not (laughs) something that happens a lot. Uh, Katie, last one from me, you guys, or you got your start at MILB.com out of school, right? And uh, prospects are close to our heart. Prospects are close to your heart. 
So you have to have a soft spot for what Alex Reyes is doing. I know he's got an inning limit, but Alex Reyes and then Jordan Hicks, Gallegos, like that bullpen's really good. Have you gotten a chance to interact with Alex at all and just kind of talk about what a 2021 season would mean to him getting through it? Not yet. I think that's one of my my big presses with the Zoom era. Um, but what a story Alex Reyes is and Jordan Hicks. I mean, yeah. these are two guys. Yes, Alex Reyes is on an innings limit, but if he can get through 2021 healthy, um, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind he'll be a starter next year. Um, there, I think the Cardinals are really going to rely on, on Hicks and Reyes as kind of their back end bullpen. We're here, you know, to slam doors. And they have, I mean, Jordan Hicks was throwing 103 in the seventh inning the other day. Then Alex Reyes comes in and he's virtually unhittable. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what we're talking about when we say that this bullpen is, is lights out. And that's why it's so important for the starting rotation to kind of go deeper in games and figure out, you know, they'll get Kim back hopefully this week. No return or no kind of word on Miles Mikolas' return. But if getting Kim back just one will be incredibly helpful. So again, if the starting rotation can figure some things out, then you'll be able to see Hicks and Reyes and, and the whole bullpen. They're seven, eight, nine guys, I think could be some of the best relievers in the league. And I think if the Cardinals are going to make a push for the playoffs, it will absolutely come at the hands of their bullpen, which next to the infield, I think those two are the strongest by far aspects of this team. So, you know, you said it, prospect affinity, uh, spent two years in the minor leagues, loved it there. So it's always really cool for me to see kind of the process come full circle. And I think it's really coming true for both Hicks and Reyes. So I have to follow up because I love the Cardinals bullpen. I, I just think, I know you guys have been mentioning it this whole time, but I just think it's so stacked. You got Giovanni Gallegos, you got Ryan Helsley, who's underrated, Jordan Hicks, Alex Reyes, and lo and behold, Andrew Miller is still in that pen. I'm, can I put you on the spot for a second? Sure. Who, if you had to choose, because those are five arms who I think could all close at one point. You have to pick one closer for this year. Who are you going with? Oh, man. So okay, um, you don't want to answer. <laughs> don't want to answer? No, there's just so many options. It's a great problem I to have, right? I'm, I'm almost like wondering, can we do a hybrid of Reyes and Hicks? Um, I, here's, here's my bold prediction and I could be completely off. Keep in mind guys, I've, I've been covering this team for like, less than yeah. <laughs> so my, my bold prediction is that if, you know, Reyes is healthy and has been under the 100 inning limit, if the Cardinals need a must win game, they're going to start him and they'll close Hicks. That's what I oh expect God. to see by the end of September. Um, you know, again, I could be completely wrong. You guys could pull this up by September and be like, look at her. She's so stupid. <laughs> that's, that's my pick would be we Reyes will probably close for the rest for the, the majority of the regular season. And then if they need a spot starter, they can pull him up and put Hicks in the ninth. Um, but you know, they haven't named a full closer yet. I think for reasons you described Peter is because they have so many options. Um, and I, it's kind of nice. No, not really like, yeah, you'll probably see Reyes in the ninth, but you could see Hicks. You could see Cabrera. Like you could see pretty much anyone. And it's, I would not want to be an opposing team needing to score a run in the top of the ninth off, off this team. Well, Katie, uh, you could either come on and we can put you on blast for that, or you can come on after the Cardinals win the NL Central. And I think that's a a little bit more likely. So uh, (laughs) we'll we'll figure that out. But Katie Wu, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, thank you. That was so much fun. Happy to do it anytime. Thank you so much for coming. Like we said off the top of the episode, I mean, like, what a conversation. When I asked her about who she would choose as the closer, She didn't exactly answer the question, but it was such a professional answer too, because she talked about 
basically everyone answer. And she gave, she said that Alex Reyes could actually start a game for the Cardinals and have Jordan Hicks close back there. Their bullpen is so stacked. That was such a hard question also, but she gave a really professional answer. Who would you close? I think people sleep on Giovanni Gallegos. My mind is saying Gallegos as well. Yeah. I mean, he, he's been nothing but dominant so far for the Cardinals I mean, the, the thing is, I don't know if any of these guys are truly, truly elite bullpen arms, but they're all really good. So that's why the question is so hard, right? Because you could go with Ryan Helsley. I mean, Ryan Helsley throws 100 miles an hour. You could realistically go with him. You could also still go with Andrew Miller, who is a legend of the bull. Uh, he's a legend of the game. But then you have Jordan Hicks throwing 107, and you have Alex Reyes pumping Ched, too. I mean, it's tough. I don't know. I don't the know. exaggerations are going to turn into like, you got Jordan Hicks throwing 115. Yeah. <laughs> you got Alex Reyes pumping 109 out of the. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is with how, with how velocity is increasing is increasing. We're going to have that conversation in like five years. Yeah. 2030 come around. I mean, a this Chapman, I was watching a world Chapman um, yesterday. I mean, he's still throwing a hundred one oh one. But it just doesn't have that same energy anymore, right? Because I and then I just flip on the Phillies game and they got Jose Alvarado throwing a hundred from the left side too. Right. The allure of Chapman, but there's something about Chapman's fastball that's just a little bit harder than everybody else's. Yeah. Before we wrap up, just a quick shout out to the White Sox Indian series that is kicking off. We're recording Monday, so it's kicking off Monday night. Uh, we, this is being released on Tuesday morning. But you got Carlos Rodon, Tristan McKenzie uh, on this Monday night. I'm going. And I am really excited to see Rodon, who threw five innings of two-hit ball, and then Tristan McKenzie, who's electric, and then Tuesday night, Shane Bieber, Lucas Giolito. That's a great pitching matchup. What do you have your sights set on this week? Well, I will say that one of my pitch, one of my picks of Pete's picks, the gambles I do every single day on TikTok at Project the Plate and on Instagram at Project the Plate, I have the under in White Sox Indians, eight and a half is the line. Like you said, Carlos Rondon looks really good. Tristan McKenzie looks really good. I'm super excited for that series. I'm also excited to see Garrett Cole pitch tonight against the Blue Jays, against Robbie Ray. I think he's going to be pretty dominant. And we talked about Freddie Peralta on our other podcast. Watch him today against the Cubs. I think he's going to really start to build momentum on what we were saying and be one of those really good pitchers for the Brewers. Well, Pete, joke's on you because this is coming out on Tuesday morning and they can't (laughs) watch him today. Watch the replay or the condensed game on MLB TV. For Pete, I'm Jack. This has been another great episode of Project the Plate. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Thank you, everybody. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.